everyone. I'm Nicole Rojas, and welcome to Effective Animal Advocacy on AAA Radio. Today, we're speaking with Andrea Polanco. She is a research scientist at Faunalytics with a PhD in animal welfare science. Faunalytics was established in 2000, and their mission is to empower animal advocates with access to research, analysis, strategies, and messages that maximize their effectiveness to reduce animal suffering. Andrea will be explaining a two-part study Faunalytics created, which was published this year, Planting Seeds, the Impact of Diet and Different Animal Advocacy Tactics. Hi, Andrea. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And I'm really excited to talk to you about this amazing study that you did. So what was the impetus for creating this study? Yeah, so a lot of advocates, including myself, want to understand the impact of different animal advocacy tactics on people's behaviors towards farmed animals, such as looking at what effect reading a leaflet, seeing a protest, or watching a graphic video have on people's diets. So there's some research that has looked at this effect for some advocacy tactics, but no research to date has compared many different tactics, which is what we did. Okay, which is great because, yeah, there's so many different ways you can try to um, reach public about reducing animal product consumption. And then you were narrowing in on what works best, correct? Absolutely. That's correct. Yes. Okay. So can you explain to listeners how the study was conducted and what were the key outcomes of behavior being studied? Yeah, so we conducted two studies in the United States to investigate the effect of animal advocacy tactics on three key behavioral outcomes. So one was people's animal product consumption. We also looked at whether people took a diet pledge to reduce their consumption of animal products, and as well as whether people were willing to sign a petition to improve farmed animal welfare. And we also looked at other outcomes like behavioral intentions and people's beliefs and attitudes towards farmed animals, but our key measures were the behavioral ones. So in our first study, it was a survey where we just simply asked people if previously experiencing advocacy reduced their animal product consumption or had these other effects. And our second study was an experiment where we actually compared um, animal product consumption and other outcomes in participants who saw advocacy versus those who didn't. Okay. Okay. So was there, was the sample size for each part of the study different or was it the same? It was similar. So the first study surveyed just over 2,000 people about the impact of advocacy on their behavior. And then, yeah, our experiment also just had over 2,000 participants, but they were separate samples. Oh, wow. But that's a that's a huge group to yes. sample from. So wide variety and different age ranges, I'm assuming. Yeah, correct. Um, we tried to get a best representative sample of like the demographics in the United States. That's great. Can you, I know you mentioned some of them, but which forms of animal advocacy tactics were looked at? So we had 15 animal advocacy tactics in total. So these were graphic videos, non-graphic videos, disruptive protests, non-disruptive protests, celebrities, billboards, leaflets, social media posts, news articles, documentaries, um, educational information about welfare labels, peer-to-peer outreach, classroom education, meat-free challenges, and books. However, not all forms of animal advocacy from our survey could be experimentally tested in the second study for practical reasons. So, for example, um, asking someone to read a book or to watch a two-hour documentary would have taken too long to do in our experimental setup. So our experiments only tested 10 of the 15 advocacy tactics from the survey for these reasons. 
Okay. That's interesting. So people reading books or watching a documentary would be, you know, obviously on their own volition and just seeing how that affected their perspective on reducing animal consumption, correct? Yeah, that's exactly what we did in the survey. So if they had indicated that they read a book or watched a documentary related to um, animal suffering, we then asked them, okay, uh, did this reduce your consumption of animal products? Yeah, yeah. Well, I I know for myself, it's hard to um, watch documentaries because it's um, obviously this is what's really happening, even though we don't see it, it's still happening. And so to know that it's occurring is troublesome. So, I mean, for me, it just instills in me even a stronger reason not to ingest animal products. Um, Do... I know this may sound silly, but do people's diets influence if they're more likely to reduce animal product consumption and support animal welfare? Yeah, no, that's not silly at all because they do. Uh, So we found that um, some advocacy tactics have a different impact on people's behaviors depending on whether they identify as vegetarians or reducitarians, which is a group that we call meat avoiders, compared to people who identify as omnivores or meat eaters. So, for example, in the experiment, we found that meat eaters actually ate more animal products after watching a disruptive protest video compared to those who didn't. And by disruptive protest, I mean ones that cause a disruption to people's everyday lives, so like a grocery store or a cafeteria disruption. Uh, Secondly, we found negative effects of both disruptive and non-disruptive protests in meat avoiders, so only half of meat avoiders who watched a video of a disruptive or a non-disruptive protest actually signed a petition asking for animal welfare improvements compared to 71% of meat avoiders who didn't see any advocacy. Um, And one last point that I want to mention about this is that we actually found positive effects of both social media posts and news articles in meat avoiders. So both of these advocacy tactics reduced their consumption of animal products while not having any harmful effect in meat eaters. So this just all goes to show that people differ in the way that they think about meat eating and that different advocacy tactics actually do have different effects on people depending on where they're at with meat eating. Okay. So... Why, why would somebody who experienced a disruptive protest, why would that enforce or enable them to want to eat more animal products? Yeah. So in our experiment, um, we found that that was, that was the only, only the case for meat eaters. So unfortunately, our research can't tell us why, since that wasn't the scope of the experiment, but we think that disruptive protests, um, Actually, I'll back up and say we know that disruptive protests caused anger in our participants, so we suspect that the anger may have increased uh, meat eaters' consumption of animal products. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's interesting. As I was reading the study and saw that um, that it actually increased their consumption and that uh, the anger mm-hmm. um, led, the, led them to that. So I would, have never, I would have never thought that. For me, I thought... It would have been maybe opposite, but that's an interesting point to to take notice of. Yeah. What is the difference between being vegetarian and being a meat avoider? Um, so it's it's just semantics. So in our survey, we asked people like uh, to identify their meats eating okay. habits. So like we asked them like, do you identify as omnivore, flexitarian? 
uh, vegetarian vegans weren't included in our in our experiments. Um, so when we were looking at the results, we found that on average, animal advocacy didn't have any impact on people's behavior. So then we decided to see um, whether there was an impact on advocacy if people identified as meat eaters or as meat avoiders. So we just called the meat avoider group people who ticked off flexitarian or vegetarian or pescatarian in the experimental survey. Okay. Thank you for explaining that. I'm assuming that behavioral change, especially with one's diet, is very complex for each individual. Um, Did you have to take this into account in the study? Yeah. So yeah, research in general looks tends to look for average effects in large samples. And so some people will be affected more, some less. So one way that we took into account individual differences was by, again, separating out the data by meat, of meat eaters versus meat avoiders, because they are already at different stages of behavior change. So they might be influenced different by advocacy, which is what we found. And we also looked at whether the effectiveness of advocacy differed by people's demographics like gender, age, and ethnicity, but we found that that was not the case here. Oh, okay. Okay. Good to know. And which part of the study? Was it the retrospective part where they, that people were surveyed versus the experimental part provided more perspective on what will change people's perspective to reduce their animal product consumption? Yeah, so the retrospective survey gives us good insight into what people think changes their behavior, whereas an experimental design allows us to actually see whether advocacy changes people's behaviors without relying on people's memories or their beliefs about their behaviors. Although I will say um, one really neat thing about the survey is that it allowed us to understand the frequency of animal advocacy in the United States, which is something that we considered when estimating the impact of advocacy in the survey. So for example, 72% of participants who read a book said that the experience caused them to reduce their animal product consumption, yet less than 10% of people in the survey had actually read a book about farmed animal suffering. So the actual impact of books is low compared to more common experiences. So overall, both studies have pros and cons, which is why we included both aspects. So the retrospective survey is good for understanding how often animal advocacy is experienced and remembered and how the public thinks about advocacy, whereas the experiment can show us whether advocacy has any direct impact on changing people's behaviors. Okay. So would reading a book or seeing a documentary have possibly a more long-term effect on somebody's perspective than somebody seeing a billboard with a celebrity saying, you know, I'm reducing my meat intake, you know, come join me or seeing a post on social media. Is there yeah. a difference? Um, when you say long-term effect, do you mean like, um, like understanding? A, I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, it's okay. So understanding um, the impact of advocacy on people's behaviors, like months later, years yes. later. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is a... Hard to answer because right now, um, with researching animal advocacies, um, from my understanding, most studies that come to mind, including like the report we just released um, with the experiment, we just looked at the short-term impacts. So with the experiment, we, you know, some participants saw advocacy, some did not see advocacy, and then two weeks later, we followed up with them and um, 
surveyed the number of servings of animal products that they had consumed, so we can only directly measure the impact of advocacy on people's consumption two weeks later. So okay. it's really, yeah, we don't have a full understanding in the research right now about like what the long-term impact is. Like we try to do that with the survey essentially. So we basically asked people in the survey, like, have you experienced animal advocacy with, within the last five years? And then we also looked at whether that was associated with people's currents, um, if they currently identified as vegan or vegetarian. But um, an issue with that analysis was that we think that people, it's just hard to tell if people were already vegan or vegetarian at the beginning and then seeked out certain forms of advocacy. So kind of like how you were saying with a documentary. So someone who's already taking steps to reduce their animal product consumption um, may seek out certain forms of advocacy like documentaries and books to learn more about farmed animal suffering versus people just like randomly reading a book or watching a documentary and then turning uh, vegan or vegetarian. So it was hard for us to kind of um, understand the direction with that in the survey. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. I was curious to were how people responded to the different animal advocacy tactics was their response predictive of their behaviors towards reducing animal product consumption? Yes. So in our experiment, we asked people the extent to which they perceived advocacy as condescending, misleading, informative, shocking, engaging, as well as how angry the advocacy had made them. So we looked at whether these perceptions or responses then predicted their animal product consumption, in addition to whether they were willing to take a diet pledge or sign a petition. So we actually found that none of these responses predicted the amount of animal products that people had eaten two weeks later, but uh, these responses did predict people's likelihood of taking a diet pledge and signing a petition. So unsurprisingly, people were less likely to take a diet pledge or sign a petition if they perceived the advocacy as condescending, misleading, or if the advocacy had made them angry. So this means that people may be less motivated to change their behaviors to help farmed animals if they experience these negative perceptions or responses to advocacy. And of course, meat eaters were more likely than meat avoiders to be the ones to respond negatively. Okay. I can, I can understand if you feel like you're being talked down to that, you know, somebody is trying to tell you how to live your life. I mean, there's got to be a, a fine line on how you approach advocacy for this, because like I said, someone's diet is personal, but um, spreading awareness and, and consciousness of what's actually happening to these animals is is in dire need. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I can understand how somebody could get angry, but the word needs to come out and understand what's happening. What percentage of the participants reduced their animal product consumption after being exposed to these different um, strategies? Yeah, in our survey, we found that 41% of people said that advocacy had caused them to reduce their animal product consumption. So as a few examples, uh, 72% of people said that books caused them to reduce their animal product consumption, while the lowest percentages were found for celebrity endorsements and billboards, where approximately 25% of people said that those advocacy tactics caused them to reduce their consumption of animal products. 
But like I was saying before, the actual impact for some advocacy tactics may be lower after taking into account the number of people who actually experience them. So we considered this in our first study. Um, books were no longer the most impactful in changing people's diets since they are so infrequently experienced. Mm-hmm. And rather, yeah, we estimated that news articles and social media posts were more impactful when considering that they were experienced by 51 to 59% of those surveyed. And these were also the two advocacy tactics that had the most positive impact on meat avoiders diet in the experiment. Yeah. I find for um, um, just myself and I'm vegan, but uh, even just watching um, videos that are hard to see, um, I don't want to see them. Um, But if somebody is, um, on social media and sending out maybe a vegan recipe, it's so much easier for me to take in. So I can see the range of tactics and how they work, even just for myself, who is an advocate for it. So that's just, it's interesting, the, the wide range of what's out there. And um, knowing that like a celebrity endorsement is really not as helpful as, like you said, um, social media posts or a news article that's being just informative and just giving some facts and and not being pressurizing anybody, but just giving information of what's really happening without being emotionally attached, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also just like a lot of individual variation with when it comes to animal advocacy. So some tactics will work for certain people, but not others, which right. is kind of like what we touched upon with the meat eaters versus meat avoiders. Right. Yeah. So interesting. Um, which forms of the advocacy tactics would you weekly uh, recommend towards trying to advocate for or using as a, a strategy? Yeah. So our recommendations are Based on evidence from our experiment and other published work that has found positive effects of advocacy on reducing people's animal product consumption. So if an advocacy method reduced people's meat consumption, whether it was in meat avoiders or in meat eaters, uh, we recommended it. If it had the opposite effect, so increasing people's animal product consumption, then we recommended it against it. So what we call weaker recommendations in our report are for advocacy tactics where we found no effect, positive or negative, on people's diet, but we found evidence for other positive effects like increasing people's positive beliefs about farmed animals or reducing people's intentions to purchase animal products without a welfare label. So these advocacy tactics were graphic and non-graphic videos, leaflets, and celebrity endorsements. Um, So again, diet change is gradual for a lot of people. So for many folks, the first step of changing one's behavior is actually by changing one's intentions or beliefs. So that's why we still recommended those last advocacy tactics that I mentioned, but less so than the ones that showed an immediate impact on reducing people's intake of animal products. Okay. Okay. And what you mentioned uh, just now, what I thought was also fascinating was people reading animal welfare labels. And, and how that would affect them in the study. Um, that didn't seem, I, please um, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like what I remember is that animal welfare labels didn't have as big of an impact or am I way off base? 
So yeah, in in our report, so we didn't find causal evidence for educational information about welfare labels to change people's behaviors. So there wasn't a positive or a negative effect, and it also didn't change people's intentions to actually buy animal products with or without a welfare welfare label. So we do, in our like final conclusion, advise caution into using this as an advocacy tactic to change people's behaviors because there just wasn't any. Evidence for or against it, but we also caution that there needs to be more research into it as a tactic. Okay, I know for me, well, it's easy to say though for me because I'm an animal mm-hmm. lover. As soon as I see an animal welfare label on anything or cruelty free, I mean, I'm drawn to it. So, um, it just changes my perspective. But what's great is is that more and more um, companies are using those labels. And yeah. so that, that, I mean, for me, it's just, it, I know it in the study, it didn't show that, but for me, it's helpful to know yeah. that these companies are paying attention. Yes, to, absolutely. Right. To the collective of what's the change that is occurring in our society and um, becoming more plant-based is becoming more mainstream. Yeah. I although I should clarify, like um, in the, survey and the experiment, it was to do with like uh, welfare labels on like eggs or milk or something like that on animal products. So it wasn't necessarily like the vegan label. Okay. Sorry. I was mixing it up with more cruelty-free things, but yes. Yes. Well, I mean, that's good though, that at least that those labels are being placed on there just, you know, as what I was trying to say is that these organizations or these companies are noticing that there is a change in our society. And so now they are paying more attention to what they're doing, even though it wasn't like a huge change for people who do not, who eat or ingest animal products. It's just an awareness that's growing. Absolutely. I agree. There's more consumer awareness. So that is affecting like companies decisions on how to label certain products. Yeah. Yeah. What, what were the best effective strategies um, that you found after completing the study to advocate, to use for mm-hmm. advocacy? Yeah, so the experiment found social media posts and news articles that discussed farmed animal suffering as the most effective ones to reduce people's consumption of animal products. But again, this was at least in meat avoiders. Um, there was no backfire effects of these two advocacy tactics on meat eaters, which is a good thing. So this just means that like sharing social media posts or news articles aren't likely to have harmful effects on meat eaters, while it's likely to have a positive impact on reducitarians or vegetarians. And we also recommend other advocacy tactics in our report that have been shown through other experiments to have um, positive impacts on changing people's diets that we weren't able to test in the experiment. So these were classroom education and meat-free challenges. Okay. So with the... um meat-free challenges and classroom education, was it more, these were, was that part of the retrospective study? Correct. So they were both included in the survey. Um, but unfortunately we just weren't able to test them in the experiment for like the same reasons right. I was saying earlier. It was just a bit too challenging. Um, again, like when I say meat-free challenge, meat-free challenge, you're usually picturing like a 30 day, pledge or something like veganuary. Right. So other other experiments published by other researchers and in the field have looked at that and that's what we were basing our recommendations on. Okay. 
how long did it take this study to be completed? Ooh, um, <laughs> <laughs> depends. Like if you're asking from inception of like study design to like its final report format. I yeah, would I'm say, curious from study design. Yeah. To- so about a year, maybe a year and a half. So when I joined Fontalytics, um, the, 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 the results for the survey had already been um, the data for the survey has already, had already been collected and there were some notes on the design. So then when I joined Phonolytics as a researcher scientist, um, yeah, I was asked to take over as the lead, which included like, you know, designing the experiment and all that. Also like finishing up the analysis from the survey. And then, yeah, so it, it was a, it was a huge project. It did take about a year and a half to answer your question. Yeah. yeah. So we're happy it's out. And yeah. Yeah. It was a, a big undertaking Yes. It's yeah. something I'm really proud of. And yeah, I'm so happy that I was, that was like the first project I got put on. It was difficult at some points, but like so happy to see it out. Like I'm really proud of it. Exactly. Right. I mean, because what you're doing is you're providing um, tangible data mm-hmm. for animal advocates to use and to see what is helping, what is not helping, which is really important right now. Yes. From this study, and I know it just was completed, but has this study given Phonolytics maybe um, a springboard to look at something else more specifically with animal advocacy? Um, So not specifically from this report. We have like a whole strategy in place about how we pick the studies that we do at this organization. Um, So we usually get study topic ideas from advocates as well as from staff and board members. And then we, there is like a vote procedure that we take into consideration a lot of different factors. Um, Okay. Yeah. So it's not as simple as like, Oh, it'd be cool to study X, which was based on this report. Um, We have a formal process that it goes through. So well, talking it, to yeah. different stakeholders, including like animal advocates on the ground, like we also take into account their consideration. Okay. So how can people, I know you have many studies published. How can people learn more about Phonolytics? Yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, you can sign up for our newsletter at phonolytics.org. So in addition to conducting original research, like the one I just talked to you about today, we also do a lot of um, summaries of other published work in the field of animal advocacy or like related disciplines. So a lot of the time, you know, advocates are really busy. They're not going to read an original study um, published online. A lot of times it's inaccessible, not just like through a paywall, but also like the jargon that scientists use. So if you right. visit our website, we have something called like our library, which is really awesome. So it's a bunch of summaries of like the most uh, latest studies published uh, related to animal advocacy Um, And you can also follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And we also have office hours. Um, So if you ever have, let's say you are interested in conducting a study, either on your own or you don't know where to start or you're volunteering or working for an organization and you want to understand like the impact of your own advocacy, we do have office hours, which you can find on our website as well. Oh, that is beautiful to offer something like that to help advocates along their way. Yes, so it's it's our mission to empower animal advocates, right? Right, exactly. What a great resource Phonolytics is for everybody that is trying to make a change for animals. 
I really admire the work that you are doing there. Thank you so much, Andrea. Oh, thank you. That's really sweet of you. Thank you. Yeah. Is there anything that I may have missed that you would like to share? Um, no, your questions are great. Thank you for asking at the end where people can reach out. Um, okay, awesome. Thank you so much. And I look forward to more studies. And <laughs> reading this study was very helpful for me because, um, quite honestly, you know, I always felt like I didn't want to necessarily tell people what to do because I know it's a personal decision, but also trying to raise awareness of the plight of farm factory animals um, is, I believe, needed um, so people understand what really is happening. So I appreciated reading through this study. So thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you for taking the the time to read it and to ask me questions about it. Yeah. Thank you, Andrea. Best of luck to you. Thanks so much, Nicole. It was a pleasure to talk to you. It was a pleasure to talk to you, too.